All right, guys, so it's good to be talking to you again. It's been all of one week that I didn't get to, and it already feels like it's basically been an eternity. So I'm, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be talking with you. Last week, we went through our, our business meeting, went through all of our finances, all of the updates and the situation with the building and the roof and all those such things. Uh, I had a, a short, just in case the meeting ended early, sermon for after last week. We're not going to have that today because it kind of went with last week. Uh, will you see it at some point in the future? I don't know because I like to keep you in suspense, so maybe. You know, you can just think on that. But uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to move on to the next topic that we're going to talk about. And I just really feel like we have a need to go back. And, and I just like to every now and then go back and have a pure, from beginning to end, the whole sermon a salvation-based call to repentance in Christ. And I think that's what we're going to do today, guys. We're going to look at several passages that, for me, uh, have made the greatest impact on my Christian life, have taught me immensely. Th these are the heavy hitters right here, guys. I mean, if you don't know these verses by heart, I would ask you to at least be able to understand them. These are passages that have been very special to me, and I hope that we can take them and and learn from them today because I truly believe that these are God's words. These are God speaking His truth to us in the scriptures that we're going to be looking at today. Before we talk about salvation, I just want to say a few words about what I'm going to be trying to do today. I always try to make sure that people understand when we talk about coming to the Lord uh, exactly what my job is in this situation. I, I'm a messenger. I'm a mediator between God and you. We're going to look at His Word today. I'm going to do everything in my power to help you understand it, to help you to feel it, to help you to see what God has done for us in Christ, how amazing it is, and the response that we should have to what He's done for us. It is not my job to come up here and tell you, uh, interesting little stories about myself. I don't do a whole lot of that. You've probably figured that out by now. Uh, I just don't find that incredibly helpful. Uh, I don't want you to leave here learning more about me than you have about Jesus. Uh, I want to try to do everything I can to keep the focus on Him. As I come up here, I'm going to do everything in my power not to give you my personal opinions. Nobody in here cares what my opinions are. If you do, you shouldn't. This is far, far more important than anything that I have to say. My job is to come up here and to faithfully and accurately preach the Word of God to God's people. And that's what we're going to strive to do today. Now, whether we do that well or not, you can be the judge. And I ask you to take everything that I tell you and to test it by the Word of God. And anything that does not meet that standard, throw it away. I am not trying to give you anything on my own authority. This is the word of the Lord. This is what he has to say about this topic to us today. So if you would, turn with me to our first passage today. We're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy and chapter 3. And if you would, stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. I'm going to say a short prayer while you guys are getting there. If you would, bow with me, please. Father, Lord in heaven... I thank you for the privilege of coming into your house, fellowshipping with you and your people. I thank you for this church and all the people who make it up. And we ask you today to teach us, to use your word to lead us into truth and away from error. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you will, we're going to be in chapter 3 and verse 15. We're going to start in verse 15. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, "...and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work." And you may be seated. So before we talk about the specifics of salvation, before we get into what Christ has done and why we have the need for salvation, I think it's important to establish what is the source for our teachings on salvation. Where are we getting this stuff from? Why am I telling you this as opposed to something else? And in order to understand that, I think we have to understand why Scripture is so important, how authoritative Scripture is, and how sufficient it is to deliver the message to us that we need to understand. Uh, scripture, if you look at verse 16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. What does that mean? Why does that matter to us? Scripture is given by inspiration of God means that Scripture carries all of the authority of God and His Word. It is as if these words had come directly from the mouth of God. It means that they are absolutely reliable. It means they are absolutely truthful. It means they will never lead you astray in any way. This is what the Christian church has taught for the last 2,000 years. Jesus himself more than once said things like, uh, The Scripture can never be broken. That everything written in the Scripture must be fulfilled. And if we're going to understand God's way of salvation... I think a key starting point for us is to understand that this is God's book. This is a God-sourced, God-written, God-breathed work. We must understand its purpose, what He's given us Scripture for. Paul tells us that Scripture does many things. It teaches us, it corrects us when we're wrong, it convicts us when we fall into sin. But this book is sufficient for two very important things that Paul tells us about. If you've got your Bible open, look at verse 15, where he says, "...the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus." This is what God has provided to make us wise for salvation. Everything we need to know, everything we need to do is contained in the words of Scripture. It has all been delivered to us. There is no secret knowledge or some outside source that we have to discover, that we have to find on our own in some way. It has been given to us by God in Scripture. And in verse 17, we are told that Scripture is given to make the man of God complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Everything the believer needs to live a pure, spirit-filled, God-honoring life, he will find the instruction for in Scripture. It is sufficient to save us. It is sufficient to sanctify us. It is sufficient to grow us in our faith in Christ. And in the next chapter, Paul tells Timothy what he is supposed to preach. What is he supposed to be preaching with the simple command, preach the Word. If we're going to understand salvation, this is our 
starting point. It's not that the Word in itself saves us, but this Word is what teaches us about the one who does. This is God's means of revealing that person to us. And with that front work out of the way, let's go ahead and and begin our discussion specifically about salvation. We're going to go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 59, chapters 1 and, or I'm sorry, verses 1 and 2. Where he says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. And we need to begin our discussion of salvation by discussing our need for salvation in the first place. Why do we even need to be saved? What are we trying to be saved from? And to understand our need for salvation, you have to understand humanity's sinfulness. You have to understand our iniquity, as he calls it right here. The situation that we currently find ourselves in if you're not in Christ. The gospel is the good news. But what I always like to tell people about salvation is that you cannot understand the good news if you don't understand the bad news. If you don't understand the situation we're currently in, you can't understand how truly gracious it is that God has provided for us. But what is sin? I think a lot of us know to some extent what sin is. Sin is lawlessness, the Bible tells us. It's transgressing the law of God. It's rejecting, disobeying His commands. It's attempting to overthrow His authority, to live life your own way. And we're told in verse 2 that sin separates us from God. That's very important. You guys hold that for later. Sin separates us from God. It cuts us off from the source. We've talked so many times about how all life, all good, all grace and mercy, everything that is good in this world comes from God. And verse 2 tells us that sin separates us from God. It divides us from Him. Anytime we act contrary to God's will, we're sinning. All idolatry, all stealing, all times that we've hated our brother without a cause, all covetousness, all whatever sin you want to put in there. Every time we haven't done something we know that we should have. We've all done this. We've all fallen. The Bible says that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. And the, the scary thing about this separation is that if it's not repented of, if nothing is done about it, it becomes permanent. It's something that can last forever. And that's not something that you have to take my word for. And I want to look at this next passage just so you can see it with your own eyes. The, we're going to be looking at the book of Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And I want you to think about this passage as we read this today. And, and understand the consequences that God's Word promises sin comes with. In verse 8, it says, "...in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction, everlasting destruction." from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. So sin, if it's not repented of, has everlasting consequences. Consequences that last forever. There will be a judgment. We will stand in front of Christ. We will give an account for the things that have been done in this world someday. 
That day is coming closer every day, and God never misses anything. He never makes any mistakes. His judgment is going to be just. The question is not, are we going to be judged? The question is not, are there consequences? The question is, how is the judgment going to go if we're not in Christ? And the answer is, not very well. In Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul tells us there is none righteous. And then just in case you didn't get it the first time, he says, no, not one. There is none. No, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. There are no exceptions. There is no uh, being just good enough. Romans 5.12 says, Through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and death spread to all men, because all have sinned. I mean, everybody remembers that, that fruit in the Garden of Eden, right? Everybody remembers that the tree of the knowledge and good and evil that they weren't supposed to eat from. Ever since that day, there are no exceptions. We are a fallen race. We are all sinful. We all fall short of the glory of God. And what this means, and this may trample some toes. If it does, I'm sorry. I'm telling you the truth. It means that we are not all naturally, basically good people that are just doing the best that we can. That's not the way that the Bible presents sinful humanity. It says that we are slaves of sin and evil. That we are in rebellion against God. And that someday we are going to pay for that if we don't repent. The situation is extremely, extremely bleak. I hope that made everybody feel very good about themselves. We've all got higher self-esteem now that that's over. Uh, we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll go the other direction a little bit. Okay, If you will, turn with me to another very special verse to the Gospel of John, chapter 3, and verse 16. John chapter 3, verse 16. And this is Jesus speaking, where he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So with all that in mind, why does God want to save us? Why would he even want to save a people like us? That's not the question we normally ask, but I think it's a much better question than the one that we normally ask. Why does God even want to save sinful humanity? Well, in John 3.16, the answer is because God so loved the world. The reason that God saved us, and this is important, is not found in us. I want you to understand that. We're going to come, at, come back to it many times. The motivation for all of this is in God. He is the one that loved first. He's the one that's gracious. He's the one that's merciful. The foundation of everything is in Him. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 tells us that Christ loved me and gave Himself for me. This is so important because we must know that it all starts in Him. We owe Him everything. We deserve nothing. He has freely chosen to give us salvation, to give us His grace in spite of the fact that we do not deserve it. So why does God save? What is the motivation for God saving us? It's His character. It's who He is. The Bible tells us, he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. 
There is no other reason. That is why God has decided to save us. And if you look at the next verse with me real quick, we're going to go to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3, and verse 18. 1 Peter 3, 18, where the apostle says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. So we've established our need for saving. We've we've established God's desire for saving us, but what has actually been done? How are we saved from judgment? I mean, Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He brings us that eternal life through His suffering, through His sacrifice. Jesus came down. He was born of a virgin. He became a man. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and He died for unjust sinners. He died on our behalf for our good. He came to deal with our sin. The Bible says He bore our sins in His body on a tree. And then He overcame death. He defeated Satan. He destroyed the consequences of sin and death when He rose on the third day. And I want you to notice something else in that passage, in verse 18, that He might bring us to God. It's not just that He has paid the price while He has done that. He died for us to bring us to God. The sin that once separated us has been overcome. He's the one that has reconciled us. He's the one that has brought us back together. We were once separated. We are now reconciled. We were once servants of sin, and now we have been redeemed. Through His sacrifice, mercy has come to us. We were once under a curse, but He became a curse for us. And above all, He did it for unjust, lawless sinners that deserve nothing of the sort. Every passage that we look at, we see over and over and over again the fact that we don't deserve what He's given to us. He has given to us in spite of the fact that we don't deserve. I have earned nothing. I deserve nothing. And He gave everything. Praise God for the sacrifice that He made in sending His Son for all of us. And another passage that has been very special to me over the years will be in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. We've talked about this before. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 to 10. Where the apostle says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. What is it to be saved by grace? It means that it's unmerited, that it's undeserved, that it is, as he goes on to say, a gift. And how do you receive that gift? He tells us, he tells us through faith, trusting in his saving work, following Christ. He tells us that it's not of works. Christian salvation is not about piling up good deeds or or good religious activity until you're deserving of having grace bestowed upon you. It's not about what we have done at all. It's about what He has done. We have nothing to boast of because everything we have has been received. And it is unto good works. Maybe you'll remember the last time we talked about this passage, we talked about how the order is important. Grace, faith, works. 
The order is important. That's important to keep us from misunderstanding what true saving faith is. I want to look at another passage that I found very helpful for explaining this in the book of James chapter 2. James chapter 2 verses 19 and 20. Where James tells us, You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Now this isn't legalism. This isn't him telling us the exact opposite of what Paul just told us. He's giving us a description of what true saving faith is. And I love this passage because I get comments all the time when I talk to people that say things like, Well, I believe in God. Well, I believe that Jesus was real. Now, I've got that faith stuff taken care of. I mean, I believe in God, right? I mean, that takes care of it, right? Salvation is by faith alone. I believe God exists. I'm good, right? That covers it. That doesn't cover it. Is that what biblical faith is? Well, James tells us right here, of course that's not what biblical faith is. That's not what we're looking for. That's not why you're here. This is important, guys. We're about to ask the most important question that we're going to be asked today The most important question that you may ever ask. What must I do to be saved? And you cannot understand that if you can't understand what James tells us here. When I tell you that you must have faith in Christ to be saved, I'm not telling you that you need to affirm a couple of facts in your mind. And I'm not telling you, if you look at verse 20, that you can believe that Jesus was real and go on and live the rest of your life in complete sin, depraved, debauchery, and go to heaven when you die. I'm not telling you any of those things because the Bible doesn't teach any of those things. Faith that has no works is dead. Why? Because faith changes you. You all know this. When you come to Christ, you are born again. You aren't the same person anymore. You're not a servant of sin. You're a follower of Christ now. You will never be the same. And that's why in Acts chapter 16, when the Apostle Paul is asked, what must I do to be saved? He could give him the very, very uh, unbelievably complicated answer. I don't know if any of us could ever really follow this all the way through, right? It's, it, try, to, try to keep up with this, okay? He says, what must I do to be saved? He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's it. He gives him one line. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. How does that work itself out? In the New Testament, salvation pretty much always looks the same. You have somebody preaching the gospel. You have a group of people listening to him. You have God coming and working in the hearts and minds of those that are receiving the message. And then they have to respond to that message. What does that response look like? Well, first of all, it looks like repentance. It looks like turning away from your old sinful past to a new ruler, a new God, a new Lord, a new King. And it looks like faith. A couple of passages I'll read to you. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. If you respond to the call with faith in Christ, you will be saved. And I want to look at one more passage with you before we leave tonight. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 to 5, where the Apostle John tells us, And I heard a loud voice from heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, 
and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So I hope after that everyone understands why we need to be saved and how we are, but what happens when you come to Christ. And I think that there are diverse, uncountable blessings that I could not tell you all of them in this one sitting, but I want to give you a few of them. I want you to have something to look towards. We're promised rest for the weary. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We're not only promised rest, we're promised peace. We're told that when we bring our concerns to God, that He will give us peace that passes understanding. Whether that be internal peace or peace amongst each other or peace with God, we are promised peace. We're promised eternal life when it says the gift of God is eternal life. And that's not just continuing to exist. That's not just going on the way things are now. I'm talking about full fellowship, communion with God. That He will be with us, we will be His people, and He will be our God. We will have calm and comfort as He wipes away every tear. Sin will be defeated and all of its results will be gone. No more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying. And then in the meantime, He gives us the Holy Spirit that fills us with peace, joy, hope, and love for Him and one another. Who changes us day by day into what He wants us to be. I tell you that not to try to sell you Jesus. I'm not trying to sell Jesus to you. I'm trying to tell you the truth. And those are all biblical truths. That's what the scriptures tell us. If you will come to him, you can be a fellow laborer in his body, doing his work with an inheritance that never passes away, that could never be any more valuable. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And I invite you to come today. If you do not know the Lord, I usually say you could come talk to me or Jason, but Jason's not here today, so you're stuck with me. But you can still come talk to me. I will be here. Guys, if anybody that you know does not know God, now is the time to be praying for them. Now is the time to be bringing this message to them. And I ask that you would take that with you throughout the rest of this week. If you would, stand with me. We're going to pray out.